My name is Nancy Farrow, also known as Mama Lou, and I'm the founder of Epic Experience. Epic Experience mission is to empower adult cancer survivors and thrivers to live beyond cancer. I hope that as you listen to Campfires of Hope, Living Beyond Cancer, you find hope, healing, and empowerment. Through stories and education, we aim to guide those impacted by cancer and more importantly, offer love and support to anyone out there who needs it. This is Beyond Cancer. I am here today with Mike Craycraft, Executive Director of the Testicular Cancer Society. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And one, actually, I usually, I will ask you for a fun fact, but I'm going to share one right up front. Mike is also uh, Epic Experiences Epic Hero Award winner this year. So congratulations, Mike. Yeah, thank you. Awesome stuff. So let's start off. Uh, you just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from. And then you can share one fun fact about yourself. Sure. So I, I live in Cincinnati, born and raised. I lived down in South Florida a couple of different times. Um, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer in 2006. I'm also a clinical pharmacist by trade. So played uh, Division One college soccer and then went on to the University of Cincinnati College of Pharmacy. Um, I guess a little known fact is in grade school, I was a member of the Maddox Mustang unicycle team. And to answer your first question, no, unicycle riding does not give you testicular cancer. It's just a coincidence that it has one wheel and I'm left with one ball. That is more information than perhaps we needed. But thank you for sharing that fun fact. So unicycle, I did not know that they did this in elementary school or any school for that matter. Yeah, you know, I'm a little bit older. So and back in our days, yeah, unicycles, no helmets. It was it was mass chaos. Wow. And you survived. So yeah. Congratulations. Thanks. So tell us a little bit more about your diagnosis story. When did it happen? How kind of symptoms maybe leading up to it? And then what happened in terms of treatment and, and all of that? Sure. So I was living in South Florida at the time. Uh, Hurricane Wilma came and hit one week. Uh, so we were without power, um, no AC. And yeah. Friday that week, a friend called just to make sure I made it to the hurricane. And I went to sit down on the couch and adjust myself and felt a lump. So immediately in my mind, I thought, you know, oh my gosh, it's cancer. Hung up on my friend. Um, and then, you know, instead of going to the doctor, I sat and stewed and kind of started a vicious cycle of I think somewhat fear, somewhat denial. I think the biggest part is not wanting to upset others. You know, mm -hmm. how am I going to tell other people that I'm sick? So I was coming back to Cincinnati for Thanksgiving. And I went to so far as even through my own going away party. I figured in a couple of months, everybody would hear that I was dying from metastatic disease. And it was kind of my feeble attempt to see everybody one last time. But I couldn't grasp. <laughs> I kept thinking, well, you know, I can't show up and be like, hey, pass the turkey. I have cancer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so 
you know, well, after Thanksgiving, I'll do it. And there was a wedding that weekend, too. So I really don't want to ruin it. I'll throw a party instead. And, you know, coming home for Christmas and New Year's and my dad's birthday in January. And I was taking last minute trips and really living like I was dying because I, I literally, in my mind, everything was my last chance, right? My oh. last chance to go to Colorado and go skiing. Okay, I'll go to the doctor after that. <laughs> That's my question. Had you been to the doctor yet? No, no, no. <laughs> no. No, I, I simply, you know, I, I worked in hospitals. I had a medical background. I knew testicular cancer existed. That's about the extent of my knowledge. Um, so I, I pretty much as horrible and pathetic as it sounds, you know, decided I was going to die from the disease, made peace with it. I'd had a good life, um, lived like I was dying during those seven months. And then finally in June of the next year, went to the doctor. When you went, the doctor said... Yeah, miraculously, you know, he looked at me and he's like, okay, well, you know, you have cancer. I'm like, yeah, I knew that. And it's okay. Like he's looking at me. I'm I'm relieved. I'm probably the only person that felt relief when they heard the words because I'm like, okay, I was right, you know, right. Part of it. Um, other, you know, the other part is I knew I'd already prepared myself. He's like, okay, well, we're gonna take the best care of you. And so I looked and I'm like, I'm not going to die. And he's like, no. And I'm like, well, can I get some money back then? He's like, what? I'm like, never mind. Okay. Now what do we have to do? So really jumped in quick after that, you know, surgery and CT scans, everything uh, miraculously diagnosed with stage one disease. Um, And back then the kind of gold standard was to do radiation therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's also the option for active surveillance. And so I underdid that um, even back that far. And, you know, so far, so good. It never came back. So what is active surveillance? It's just essentially the wait and see, you know, the repeated scans and and tumor markers just to make sure that the cancer doesn't come back. Theoretically, it's stage one. Once they remove that testicle, it should be gone and knock on wood, it was. So So Hurricane Wilma, that would have been what, 2005? Yeah, 2005. Okay. And so seven months later, then you went through all of this and it hasn't come back since then. Correct. So did you ever tell people you had gone through this whole waiting, waiting, waiting to actually go to the doctor? So once you actually went and found out, did you tell people? How did you tell them? How did that all go? Yeah, I, I stayed completely silent during that entire time. I mentioned one thing. Uh, to someone in Costa Rica the week before that I, I got diagnosed, I went down there to go surfing because I figured that, you know, if I died as a surfer, people would think I was cooler. Is it, <laughs> it, I mean, it's just the kind of weird things that go through your mind when you're going through all this. Yeah. Um, but I'd mentioned to him that I had a lump um, and it's only because he had fallen and slid his own artery and uh, it was a huge catastrophe. We had to hold pressure, get him sewn up. And oh my he was all upset. And so I'm like, oh, well, here, I'll make him feel better. I'll tell him how I think I have cancer. But no, I, and that was one of the biggest pains was, you know, going through your daily life and not saying a word to anyone, just staying silent. And wow. that kind of, you know, really ate at me. Once I was diagnosed, then I, I literally would get on picnic tables at parties and announce that, you know, I only had one testicle and I just had cancer. <laughs> So completely kind of flipped after that diagnosis part. Why? What flipped for you? I don't know. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. you know, I, I guess I'm going to live. I, you know, I'm I'm not embarrassed by it. I don't, you know, it doesn't bother me. Like, yeah, I just had it minus the kind of mental anguish of staying silent for that, that period. And 
probably having a lot of erratic behavior, uh, I was living a pretty good life. So, you know, I was snow skiing and surfing and, you know, I don't know, I I guess it's time to announce it, I suppose. Well, and you, I think you said it too, you were thinking you were dying. And then this doctor says, oh no, you're going to live. So there's this sense of kind of, I guess, relief knowing you were right, but also relief that maybe that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Well, Um, I mean, it it was a ton of pressure off, you know, I mean, I I was in management at a medical center and I would have employees come in and, you know, I remember one uh, was upset because we were out of post-it notes and I was just looking at her like, I have cancer and you can't figure out what to do because you we're out of post-it notes. You know, it it was a lot of things going on in the background and and just getting the diagnosis probably rare for most people. For me, it was a huge relief. Yeah, definitely. So after that whole period ended, you have since become an advocate, a huge advocate for the cancer community and specifically for testicular cancer. What caused the shift for you to, to go from where you were to becoming this advocate? Well, I think that most of us probably the need for it and both both personally and the community at large, you know, back then trying to make the decision of should I get radiation therapy or should I wait and see or should I get a one dose of uh, chemotherapy, which is kind of still a little too early at the time. Uh, there was no real life experience. I was too stubborn to to look at support groups and there weren't any that existed either. I mean, I was in mm-hmm. South Florida where the average patient's, you know, 80 years old right. and I have a adolescent young adult cancer, you know? So I, I stubbornly formed my own support groups by reaching out to people. They used to be on MySpace. There really were people on there. There were. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and, you know, would see the, the cool circle with I2Y on it. I'm too young for this, which became stupid cancer and, um, you know, started asking people all these mm. questions and thought, well, you know, I have this medical background. I, I had this entire uh, kind of full cycle cancer experience, even in my mind before I was diagnosed. And, you know, what can I do to, you know, to make that better? And I think one of the biggest impetus really was, I was told no one time. So what, uh, how so what were you told no about? It was about six weeks after my diagnosis, there was the race to replace Lance Armstrong at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And it was a bicycle race. Um, And so being from Cincinnati, Indy's not too far away. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go up there, ride one lap around the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on my unicycle. And then I'm going to pitch it as one lap, one wheel, one ball as a big fundraiser for back then. It was the Lance Armstrong Foundation. So I pitched it to friends, you know, kind of different spots around the country. They thought it was great and contacted the organization. And they got back to me and said, well, we're the beneficiaries of the event. And while we'd love your support, the event you know, host or coordinators, their insurance policy says everyone has to be on two wheel pedal cycles. So I thought, well, I'm six weeks out of surgery and I'm willing to ride a unicycle around, you know, two right. mile lap around the inner. So I'm not taking no. I'm going to rent a helicopter, fly into the infield, get out, make sure there's press there, ride my unicycle until I get arrested. And we're going to make a big hoorah thing out of this. And then it kind of hit me, well, wait there's other needs. Why am I wasting my reputation and going to jail for the night? You know what? Maybe I'll just do something and, and start my own thing. Uh, Cause there's definitely needs. There wasn't yeah. anything testicular cancer specific. And it was really kind of the early stages of adolescent and young adult oncology movement. So yeah. And everything came together 
by chance. So that would have been what year that that? So I did the, it was 2006. So I was okay. diagnosed. Yeah, I had surgery at the end of June. And this was like, uh, I, I think it was like second week in August, maybe. And then you started the um, Testicular Cancer Society right after that. No, I, I ended up not starting it to like 2008. So okay. like a year and a half later, mainly but, because I, I don't, how do you start a nonprofit? What do you do? Like, right. You know. Well, and it's not like the need went away, right? I mean, that there there was still the need, obviously, when you started it. Um, what is your mission? So when you finally did figure out how to start a nonprofit and all of that, what did you decide was your mission in doing so? I mean, our mission really is to reduce the burden of testicular cancer. You know, I mean, we hope that it would be a world where testicular cancer is nothing more than any other kind of temporary illness, right? Just a speed mm-hmm. bump in the road. And we really do that. You can raise awareness. Um, you can help pay for treatments. Um, but unless you're doing kind of three main things at the same time, I don't think you can make a huge impact. And what I mean by that is we work in three silos of uh, increasing awareness, access, and quality of care. Hmm. So if you don't know about testicular cancer, you get diagnosed late, higher treatment burdens, more burden. If you know about it, but you can't get in to see a doctor, then that doesn't help either. And mm-hmm. if you get in to see the doctor, but because of the rarity of the disease, and I don't like using that, but it's a reality, um, not every doctor has a whole bunch of experience, then the quality of care isn't there and your outcomes aren't as good. So we simultaneously do all three. That's hey, awesome. make sure you check yourself. Oh, you feel a lump. This is what you should do. And by the way, here's you know the guidelines. So That's awesome. Well, and this past year, we had our first ever testicular cancer camp uh, with Epic Experience. You were there. What were some of your expectations going into it? And you you said earlier that you didn't do support groups, so you kind of created your own. Going into this, did you have certain expectations around the support group aspect of it or anything like that? No, I, I knew it. Well, I knew it wasn't a support group event, right? It's, you know, it's, uh, we're there because of cancer, not just about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was one thing. To be honest, I didn't really have any expectations. Mm -hmm. And it's not because the bar was low. It's because I'd known Epic Experience for years and and everyone involved. And so I knew what what was going to happen. It was going to be a high quality event that was going to be life changing. I knew that going in. It was more like a given in geometry, not like expecting all the angles to add up. So I don't know that I had a huge list of expectations. I just knew it was it was going to be an epic experience for lack of better words. Exactly. So then coming away from it, what what happened during that week and what did you bring home with you? I mean, I, I actually had, had a moment at camp where I got to feel like a, a survivor again, you know, mm-hmm. so when, when you're wearing the kind of nonprofit hat, you're wearing the the healthcare provider app or hat, um, you kind of forget what it's like to be a, a survivor. Mm-hmm. And, and there used to be conferences that don't really occur anymore where, you know, for a couple of days every year I could do that. And it'd been quite a few years since I had. Um, so that's kind of what I personally took took back from it. What I also took back overall, just with with all the campers and everything, is the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So it really is an opportunity event. You know, we can come from the big cities or the flat prairies, the dry desert, the sandy beach, no matter where we come from, and they get up to elevation and 
and just the grandness of nature and the mountains around you and the power of the water. Uh, it, it enables you to, to, to put down all of the electronics and the daily kind of interruptions and, and take mm-hmm. things in and, and the opportunity to do with it what you want. You yeah. know, if you want to discover yourself or learn from others or challenge yourself physically, there's so many opportunities. And that's really what I took away from it. It, it really, it's, it's like an opportunity camp. You, yeah. you can get out of it anything and everything that you want. Yep. 100%. So you already mentioned that going into it, you didn't have expectations because you've had a relationship with Epic Experience. What do you do, enjoy most about that? connection that between epi experience and the testicular cancer society relationship yeah i mean really the, the, the symbiosis so you know you hear of nonprofits and charities and you think it's all this you know shangri-la and wonderfulness and it's just like anything else not everybody plays real good in the same sandbox right yeah. So with Epic, that's different. Um, you know, we're, we're both inevitably trying to do the same thing, right? It, it's about beyond cancer. It's right. you know, whether it's the, the Epic platform or whether it's us getting through treatments and reducing the long-term effects. It's all about that living beyond cancer. And and so I, I think what we do is symbiotic. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we can identify people that would really have a, a good experience going to camp, right? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, Epic is identifying people that have been diagnosed with testicular cancer and reaching out to me. Exactly. Or I'll find someone diagnosed in Denver and say, hey, we have this guy, he's going for treatments. Do you mind going over and saying hi to him at the medical center? Mm-hmm. So it really is a, a, a true symbiotic relationship that's, you know, it, it's more a rarity um, yeah. than you think. Yeah, that's unfortunate, but that's really great to hear that it has, it does work both ways like that for sure. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would want to share with someone listening, whether they're recently diagnosed testicular cancer survivor or a caregiver or anyone who happens to be listening? Yeah, man. I mean, that that could probably fill up a book, but you know, I think when it comes to cancer, I mean, obviously cancer sucks. It does. The treatments, the everything about it from financial to anxiety, uh, everything. It, it's horrible. You can't put a good label on it. Mm-hmm. But I also think that there's there's positives to it. And, and I think if you could just find one positive and then focus on that and maybe you'll see some more. I mean, years ago, uh, and this is well past my my diagnosis and kind of really super time of need, I suppose. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was pretty... Uh, mature along in my survivorship. And I was at a conference and they did a, um, well, we talk a lot about post-traumatic stress, right? Mm -hmm. Well, they did a post-traumatic growth inventory. Mm. And I was sitting in the session kind of half-heartedly and I went through the questions. I'm like, absolutely. Absolutely. New friend. Absolutely. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. And went through this post-traumatic growth and and really kind of looked at it as, wow, this, this is real. You know, I mean, not everybody is going to have the same outcomes. Not everyone's physical challenges are going to be the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, The mental aspects and emotional aspects and relationship aspects, I think, are very much the same with any cancer diagnosis. I've been fortunate. You know, Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of incredible things after diagnosis. Um, And maybe not everyone has those opportunities, obviously. But I think somewhere 
you'll find a positive. And if, if you focus on that instead of always the negative, it helps. Definitely. You know, I, I think sometimes focusing on the negative is almost like worrying. There's an old song that says, you know, don't worry. Worry is the equivalent of trying to solve an algebra equation by chewing bubble gum. You know, and, <laughs> that is good. I have not heard that before. I like that. So, hey, don't get me wrong. You can scream and yell and do whatever you want. Everyone's individual and reacts different. Yeah. But I think sometimes if you just try to look a little, where is a little positive, it helps along the way. Definitely. That's excellent. Thank you. Well, I, I always end these conversations with the all important question, marshmallows over a campfire, slow and steady or flame and crispy? I mean, obviously the best choice is slow and slow and steady, but it, it, it never works. Mm -hmm. I, I last like a half a second. By the time I get it on the end of the stick, it's thrust in there and flames and I'm trying to blow it out. So yeah, inevitably it's crispy. Yeah, it's I'm with you. Go. I usually start the same way and end up with the flaming crispy. It's delicious. Yeah. But uh that inevitably is the way it ends up. Plus it leaves the little things in your teeth, exactly. you know, it gives you, it gives you a feeling of accomplishment when you brush your teeth at night, you get all that, that burnt marshmallow out of there. Mike, your perspective, it's just, it's refreshing. That's it. You're looking for the opportunity, even in a flaming crispy. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you so much again. Mike is our Epic hero award recipient this year. So congratulations again. And thank you for the work and the symbi symbiotic relationship that you've fostered with Epic Experience. We really appreciate it. Yeah, well, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me and thanks for listening. All right, well, thank you everyone. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Campfires of Hope, Living Beyond Cancer. For more information about Epic Experience and our programs, or to donate, please visit our website at epicexperience.org. Music for this podcast is provided by Moonshiner Collective. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us so we can share our story with more people. Also, be sure to subscribe wherever you get podcasts so you'll know when new episodes are released. We hope you come back and join us for our next episode. Valentine.